Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. This is a Vault Studios production. I'm Spencer Brudig. I'm Will Johnson. I'm Jessica Knoll. This show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences. This week on True Crime Chronicles. Driving through the Oconee National Forest, a welcome sign signals you're entering Georgia's Lake Country. It's home to 60 miles of water with Lake Oconee and Lake Sinclair combined. The rural town of Eatonton is Putnam County's seat, about 80 miles from Atlanta, boasting retirement communities, lakefront vacation properties, and professional-grade golf courses. And it's that countryside backdrop that serves as a picture-perfect setting during Russell and Shirley Derman's golden years, until tragedy blew through their lakeside community, leaving the vacation hub synonymous with murder. But before I tell you about what happened, let me tell you about a love story beginning in 1950. Just the most wonderful people you, you ever want to meet. Together, they grew a family, first in New Jersey and then in Georgia, complete with three sons and a daughter. And eventually, they would dote on nine grandchildren as well. Part of that family includes their son, Brad Dermond. Both her and dad, you know, total family people. So they just, you know, their favorite time would be just spend time with family and grandkids. In fact, the grandchildren would go to Lake Oconee for summer camp and spend time with Shirley and Russell every year. But everything the couple had built for more than 60 years would come to an abrupt and tragic end in May 2014. On Thursday, May 1st, 2014, Russell Jarman heads to the local grocery store to pick up Shirley's prescription, a loaf of bread, and some cucumbers. The store's camera records his every move. But two days later, the Dermans are no-shows at a friend's Kentucky Derby party. A concerned neighbor checks on them the next morning. When she peeks into the garage, she sees a body. Pat, I'm kind of Yes, I have an emergency. Okay. I think I have somebody dead. Okay, what's the address, ma'am? Uh, you know, what's the address here? I don't know. Uh, we're it, in Great Water. Is it 147 Carolyn Drive? Yes, 147 Carolyn Drive. Okay, and who is it? Uh, the Dermans. Okay, and uh, you're a neighbor or something? Yes, yes, I just came to check on them. They've been missing for about four days. Where are, are they in the house? Yes, yes. Hey, what's your name, ma'am? I'm Peggy Wynn. Okay. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh. Oh. Okay. They're, they're both dead, Ms. Wynn? Uh, did you find both of them? No. No. Okay. No, it's just one. Okay. I don't know where the other one is. Police radios begin squawking as dispatch calls over to officers responding to the scene. I need you en route 147 Carolyn Drive, 147 Carolyn Drive. Have a medic en route. Um, possibly have one 10109. Um, possibly have a second one. Uh, medics are en route this time. 147 Carolyn Drive. I got one dead, one might be dead at the house. They don't know if it's a murder. Enter Putnam County Sheriff Howard Sells. 
Just after 10 a.m., Sheriff Sills arrives on scene alongside his deputies. Sills searches the home until he finds a decapitated body on the garage floor. It's 88-year-old Russell Dermond. His headless body is positioned on top of his bunched-up robe. Several different colored towels line the garage door next to Russell's body. There's a large pool of blood. Just behind his Lincoln, Sills finds another blood spot on the garage floor, as if something round had been placed there. Russell's bare feet are blotchy with bloodstains after leaving a dull red trail smeared from the door to his body. His torso and arms are in line with the back of the SUV. His brown slippers are haphazardly tossed to the side of his body. I suspect Mr. Derman was shot, and we had a little gunshot residue on his shirt. Russell's hands are bruised and bloody. Upon further inspection, Sill notices something peculiar about the man's finger. His left index finger has a severe gash. Tangled within the blood, Sills finds strands of Shirley's sandy blonde hair, giving him a clue into what may have happened during the struggle between him and his killer and his wife's assailant. But inside, the sheriff cannot find anyone else. No Shirley. Sills searches the home, paying close attention to detail and anything that might be disturbed. He finds no signs of forced entry or an indication of struggle in the home. Nothing is out of place. In the kitchen, the prescription Russell picked up a few days earlier is on the counter next to several framed photos of grandchildren. And Shirley's unfinished crossword puzzle is on the table, folded over with a pencil. There was so little, there was nothing disturbed much anyway. It was weird. Quite honest with you, I don't know that they were murdered there. Outside, Sill summons an officer to the scene from the county's patrol boat and has him search Lake Oconee adjacent to the home's dock with drag hooks. They also search the nearby woods. Nothing. Russell's head and his wife are nowhere to be found. Then, ten days later, two fishermen make a ghastly discovery in the water about five miles from the Dermans Lakefront home. Cut a penny, 911. Yes, ma'am. We just come out left our house uh, to go fishing uh-huh. um, from uh, near Long Shoals Boat Ramp, and we went down towards the dam, Rock Island, and that way. And just before you get to Rock Island, on the left right that stand of timber, it appears to be, we not we can't get close enough to it, and I don't want to get close enough to it, but it appears like a body floating in the water against a tree over here. It's 87-year-old Shirley Dermond. Her body is severely bloated and badly decomposed, but consistent with the missing grandmother everyone has been searching for over the past two weeks. The medical examiner concludes that her skull is fractured and caused her brain to hemorrhage. Her injuries are consistent with a circular weapon, maybe a hammer, and she was struck at least twice. Mrs. Derman had such trauma to her head by whatever she was struck with, there should have been uh, physical evidence of that there, and it, and there wasn't. Sheriff Sills' motto has always been, we better have something before the blood dries. But all clues have dried up, and for the first time in more than four decades in law enforcement, he's at a stalemate. In fact, of the 14 murders in his county over his 20 years as sheriff, 12 have been solved. Only two remain, the Dermans. It's not a frustration of my record. It's not that. 
whoever did this is still out there. This was heinous crime. This is a depravity. Uh, I, I can't find anything in these people's background. I'm not that would justify what happened to them. Inside the county sheriff's office, a faded reward flyer is pinned to a bulletin board featuring a color photo of the couple donning pearls, a suit and tie, and smiles, and offering $45,000 for information directly leading to the arrest and prosecution of the killers. But so far, no takers. Inside Sill's office, piles of paperwork from those boxes are chaotically strewn across his sturdy wooden desk, all within reach at a moment's notice in case a new tip comes in to solve the elusive case. Hundreds have been interviewed. Everyone has been cleared. There are no suspects and no motive. Without a motive, without witnesses, without uh, anything. Like I said, crimes are solved by what people tell you. And uh, almost all the time, what people tell you. People that know the victim, people that don't know the victim that saw something. Financial records sometimes will show you this. None of those things has uh, revealed any sort of motive here in this case. Uh, That coupled with the age of the victims, the fact that they've been retired for 10 years, the fact that they lived in a very exclusive neighborhood with almost no contact with the, you know, undesirable world, shall we say, for lack of a better term. Uh, uh, Nothing comes up. Based on his investigation, Sills has narrowed the time frame of the crime to somewhere between 4.30 p.m. on Friday, May 2nd, when the mail was delivered, to 4 p.m. on Saturday, May 3rd, when the couple didn't show up for the party. But his biggest obstacle is the lack of evidence found at the scene. No fingerprints, no foreign DNA, no eyewitnesses. But he does believe there was more than one assailant. What I think probably happened was either they thought they had something in that house, or maybe they knew they had something. Or maybe they had something at some point in time that they no longer had. Uh, and somebody went there for that. Uh, and either they didn't give it up or they couldn't give it up because they didn't have it. It looks like we have two different types of homicide. She's beaten to death. We suspect he was shot, uh, which goes back to two, two people. Of course, it, you know, I don't know for certain that Mrs. Nerman, I I don't know for certain that either one of them were killed there at the house. Five and a half years later, the case remains unsolved, but Sheriff Sills doesn't consider it a cold case. It's cold, but I don't like the term cold case. Uh, Cold case to me means that all of these boxes have been put on a hand truck and moved to another building somewhere, and that's, as you can see here today, that's That's not the case, Uh, but it is not something that we're working on every day. 
Uh, I can tell you I've worked on it in the last couple of weeks. For Sills, it's not just a case number. It's personal. He won't give up finding who committed what he calls heinous and unjustified murders on his lake. I'm very frustrated for the family that you always think looks to you. I'm frustrated uh, for the community uh, when you're small-town rural sheriff, they certainly look to you. Uh, but what worries me the most is that these people are out there and anybody who will do that will do anything and they're going to do it again. Or they already have done something again. I'm confident they haven't done this again because we've kept such close tabs on looking for similar crimes uh, since then. Uh, but that's that's the terribly frustrating. It's, it's even more than frustrating. It's, it's a fear. If you'll kill, you know, an 87-year-old man, cut his head off, and then beat an 88-year-old woman to death with something, that, uh, you'll, you don't have any qualms about doing anything. Uh, and you'll certainly commit other, other crimes, and you'll certainly commit other murders. And I, I don't want that to, to happen. Not here in my county, nor anywhere else in the world. Brad Derman flips through albums and shuffles through a handful of photographs, remembering family road trips and golfing together. But the memories are bittersweet because that's all that remains. That and unanswered questions. For sure, why? You know, don't, don't, I think that's what, it's, that's probably the first question that's on everybody's mind because it's, it, it just seems totally senseless. And, and because of that question, that's probably why it hasn't been solved. But, you know, the, the motive just doesn't seem to be there. But one thing is known. Brad believes that the hair found in his father's wound indicates the last heroic act of a loving husband. It would appear that that uh, there was a struggle and, and dad was trying to be protective of, of, of mom. Still, it's difficult for their son to fathom their last moments alive. It's the horror that they must have gone through um, from the time that, that, that you know, it began and, and was finished. That, that, that's, that's what's so, so difficult to, to overcome. Brad dreams about his father, whom he talked to on the phone daily, in which he offers his son clues about his death. But he always wakes up before it leads anywhere. There's been a, uh, a couple where I almost feel like he's, he's got some answers. And uh, he's trying to get me to see something or, you know, read something. Um, and um, that hasn't happened. Then, he's left at a loss all over again, perplexed because his parents, he said, had no dark side or secrets that would have resulted in their murders. For now, the family relies on Sills and the FBI, who are also investigating the case, and the public to come forward and shed light on who did this. Some, somebody's out there, and you know, they're, they're living in hell, and, uh, uh, or maybe not, you know, uh, in terms of whether they're alive or not. Um, and there is such a thing as God's wrath, so um, 
If somebody does know something, you know, they have, they have the responsibility of coming forward. And uh, even if it's just a shred of information, they still have the responsibility. Even if, even if it's, you missed a, a shred of information that's of, of no value to solving the case, they, you know, those folks still need to come forward. With that, Sheriff Sills is more determined than ever to solve Brad's parents' case. And he wants Russell and Shirley's killers to know one thing. But we're not gonna stop. Don't think we've, don't think for an instant that, that I've forgotten it. I hope I'm still around when the call comes in. I want to prosecute them. I want to convict them. I want to see them go to death, Jane. I want to take them there. Hey, this is Spencer Brudig. I'm here with Will Johnson and Jessica Knoll. So, Jessica, you actually covered this story while you were stationed in Atlanta. So, yeah, I investigated this case actually a few years after it happened at WXIA in Atlanta. Um, and I spent several days with Sheriff Sills. He took me out on the lake where they found um, her body, took me to the house where they found his body, and um, just kind of tracing the steps that he took through his investigation um, for a few days there in Putnam County. And it's um, it's one of those cases that kind of sticks with you, as it does, obviously, for Sheriff Sills um, being his only cold case in his entire career. That's Sheriff Sills, right? Right. Yeah. Same Sheriff Sills. All right. So at listening to this, I realized that the Sheriff Sills down there in Putnam County, Georgia, is the same sheriff who we talked to and I would say is in, in many ways the hero of the uh, story that we bring you of the New Obians, a cult that moved into Georgia back in the 90s. And uh, it, it all came to a head in the 90s. Sheriff Sills uh, did a lot of investigation and actually had a heck of a time dealing with that whole thing. He was followed. He, he was threatened. Threats yeah. and all sorts of stuff happened. If you want to learn more about the New Obians, and I recommend you do, it's in our back catalog. Uh, it's one of the first episodes we did, I believe, actually, on True Crime Chronicles. Yeah, he's and a great voice and a great character, really. And he really is. And he, he's such a dogged investigator and... You know, he has decades of experience. And in that case, you know, spoiler alert, he does get justice for the victims, but it's a totally different case here. To date, no resolution. And I actually in just talked Derman to, case. right, in the Dermans case, and I just talked to Sheriff Sills a couple days ago, and he's working on something with this case, but we don't know what that is just yet. So, so Jessica, what are some of the current theories on this case right now? Well, I wouldn't call them current. Um, so right out the gate, there was there were all these theories that, you know, people were throwing around and, and, you know, quite frankly, that Sheriff Sills had to look at, um, one of them being that the Dermans were originally from New Jersey. So immediately there was this, was there a mob connection and Sheriff Sills pretty quickly was able to eliminate that and, you know, almost scoff at the idea that just because they're from New Jersey, they're not the Sopranos, you know, this is, this is real life. Um, the other one was kind of interesting where they had a, a younger son, uh, than the one that is in this episode who um, had some issues with the law and drugs in Atlanta. Um, he had subsequently passed away, um, and there was some thought that there was some retaliation with the with drugs and all that. But when we talked to the family, and even talking to Sheriff Sills, there really wasn't anything that someone would retaliate against this couple about 
in in respect to drugs or drug dealing. Yeah, but it seems it does seem very vicious. I mean, you don't cut someone's head off Calculated. unless you either really know them or you're sending a message. Right. There's been a lot and of you're really angry. Really, the as you as you heard in this episode, there's so little physical evidence that was left behind, which makes you think this is someone who has done this before. And that's one of the things when talking to the sheriff is he's like, you know, that's one of the scariest things to him without with it being unsolved is this person is going to do this again, whether it's in his county or someone else's county, and he wants to catch them to stop them from that happening again. One of the other striking details was how Russell had that big laceration on his finger. Can you provide more insight into what that might mean? Yeah, that was actually one of those heartbreaking details uh, when Sheriff Sills told me about it. Um, the thought is that if they were killed at the same time, or at least she had been bludgeoned in front of him, that was his last t- attempt to protect his wife, that he had put his hand to guard her over her head as she had been bludgeoned in the head with possibly a hammer. Um, and that's how her hair actually ended up like intertwined between his fingers and that wound. And that's just, you know, I think to find something like that, it isn't just a clue as into where it happened or, or that they were together when it happened. It's just, it's one of those, this was a love story, which we talk about in this episode. This was a couple that had built a life together and they, their lives were ended together potentially. All right, Jessica, thanks for bringing us this story. You know, I'm just doing my math here. I should have said this earlier, but mentioned Sheriff Sills and the Nuwabian thing was going on in the late 90s. That's at least 20 years. He started before then. He's been sheriff there a really long time. Yeah, he's been a sheriff there. uh, 20 plus years. Yeah, a couple decades. And even, you know, he's been in law enforcement and in Georgia. in Georgia as an investigator for, you know, multiple decades. So this is... Not just Putnam County, but in all of Georgia as an investigator, this is the only two homicide cases he has not been able to solve. All right, Jessica and Spencer, thanks very much. We will be back next week with a new case and a new story. True Crime Chronicles is a Vault Studios production. You can tell your friends to listen, subscribe, rate, and review our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and all major listening apps. Jessica, where can people find us? You can find Vault Studios on Twitter and Instagram. We'll be back next week and every week with a new episode and a new case.